And so today's teaching uh, is really going to, to follow that same vein. I'm going to pray, uh, but I just want to just remind you that if you were with us last week, if you were with us last week, uh, we popped in and we started talking about minding your mind, about minding your mind. And the reason that was so important is because I need for you all to hear me and, and to know just like we say it's okay to have Jesus and a counselor, it's okay to have Jesus and some critical thinking skills. It is okay for you to love God and still be, be able to critically think and to strategically think. When you get born again, God doesn't expect all of the wonderful intricacies of wisdom and thinking that he put on the inside of us to just dissipate. And it's amazing how many believers, I don't know if they believe like believe that, but they show up like that. And so today we're going to talk about just how important your thinking really is. So as Pastor Sean said, I encourage you as I pray, go ahead and get your pencil, uh, get your paper, uh, get ready. And Sean and I are just going to have a, Pastor Sean and I are just going to have a conversation uh, like if we were walking, <laughs> uh, getting our miles in and just talking about why it's important for believers to think, because if you don't think the enemy's going to always be tripping you up, no matter how much you shout, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how many times you take communion, no matter how much you skim over the words in the Bible and call yourself reading it. If you don't learn to apply what it is that God is saying to us in a systematic, chronological way, you are going to love God and always struggle. And that's not our hope for you. We don't want you to love God and struggle because you should not be a person who has committed your life to God and struggle because you have bad thinking. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into this. Father God, I thank you so much in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the opportunity to come and to share the word that you've entrusted me with, with the people you've entrusted us to. Father, I thank you that everything that we say on tonight, everything that will be done today, will be done simply for the fact that we want to give you glory, and we want to edify your word to your people, that they may grow and become uh, and see themselves as complete in you. We want to help them to understand that they're in different minds mindset is the thing that's been hindering them and causing them to live the way they're living. But it wasn't your purpose and it wasn't your design. And so, Father, we thank you in advance. We give you praise. We give you honor. We thank you for it because we declare right now that shackles are being broken, that that chains are being released off of the minds of those people, off of their hearts, off of their eye gate, their ear gate. They're going to hear tonight in a way that they've never heard before. And we're going to give you praise in advance for their freedom, for their deliverance and their breakthrough. And this is our prayer for you and your prayer for us. And together we shall win in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So last week we started talking about minding your mind and it was so good. Pastor Sean did it on a, one of her, um, I believe it was her strategies for success or in one of her, um, uh, soul shift classes, and we got to talking about it. And so uh, last week we had the opportunity uh, to come to Wednesday night and to share it. And and it was so good that I've been I just been thinking about it over and over and over, coupled with what we had been talking about over in Colossians when we started talking about man we are complete in Christ. We are the I am. We he we are the I am in Him. When we look at Christ. We literally are seeing us. And so that word and then the word coupled with the fact that it is our indifferent mindset, 
that has caused us to live below what God has has wanted for us has been kind of my uh, my daily devotional, just in my mind, just in my thinking. And God just really started to challenge me uh, to go back and, and to talk to really a lot of our new partners. But to be honest, some of our older partners have seemed like they've forgotten it. And, you know, if we don't if we don't uh, reevaluate it, we don't study things over and over, we can let things slip. And I think that some of us have let slip just how powerful our thinking can be. And so I actually want to go back. I want to start in Colossians 2.10. Uh, and I just want us to, to take a look at, 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 at this translation uh, from the mirror translation. And here's what it says. It says, we are complete in him. Somebody ought to give God some praise. We've been saying that for several weeks. And if you if that's new to you, then you got to be new to the broadcast because we've been saying this for weeks. We are complete. In fact, somebody type that in the comment section. Say, I am complete in him. I am complete in him. It says Jesus mirrors our wholeness and endorses our true identity. He is I am in us. He is I am in us. We are complete in him. He mirrors our wholeness. He endorses our true identity. And he is I am in us. And that to me, that is so powerful because in order to grasp that, you have to think the right kind of way. When, when, when Pastor Shun was was reading it out of the mirror translation, the first time I ever heard her read it, I just started thinking, whoa, that's that's a lot. That's heavy. I am I am complete in him and that he is I am. Because remember when he went when Moses had the issue with Pharaoh and he asked Pharaoh the question, he said, who should I say sent me? What did he say? What did God say? He said, tell them I am sent you. So he says that same I am, he said, that's who I am in you. He says, and Jesus mirrors that. And so in order for you to grasp that, you really have to get your thinking wrapped around this idea of thinking the right way, that I, that I am who I am because Christ said that's who I am. Not because of what it looks like, not because of my education, not because of how much money I'm making or not making, not because I'm married or not married, not because I'm, I'm even happy today or not happy today. I am complete in him always. I am complete in him always. And, and, and that has to set a standard for how you think. And so then I was reading in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. And of course, it's very familiar to, familiar to you. Here's what it says. It says, if you can believe. If you can what? Believe. That's a way of thinking. He says, and all things are possible to who? To them that believe. Somebody ought to go ahead and type in the comment section, say, I believe. Go ahead and type in, I believe. What do you believe? That I am complete in him, that Jesus mirrors uh, my wholeness and endorses my true identity. I was reading a quote from Henry Ford, and it's a quote, it's attributed to Henry Ford. I don't know if he was the first one to say it. He got it from the Bible <laughs> in some shape, form, or fashion. Because he says, whether you think you can or you think you can't, guess what? You're right. Whether, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you've hit, the, you've hit the nail on the nose. You are right. How do we know that's true? Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs 23 and 7. It says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. Do you see how powerful, how important, how transformational it is for you to think the proper way? If you don't think the proper way, you can never have proper actions. If you don't think the proper way, you can never have the proper perspective. 
To me, it's absolutely amazing that our thoughts are the single most important physical item in determining our destiny. People say, wait a minute, God is, God is the single most important item in our destiny. Only if you think about God in the right perspective. There are a lot of people who love God, but they don't think about what God is to them in the right perspective. And so therefore their destiny is not all that God would have it to be. How we think will dictate how we feel and how we act and how we react to varying situations in our lives. You are the sum total. And we've said this before of what? Your most dominant thoughts, whatever you spend the most time thinking or how you spend the most time thinking, that is who you become. That is what you end up being. Why? Because whatever you think about is the thing that gets manifested in your life. That in turn determines our success or failure. And so a lot of times, you know, sometimes we've been criticized at Fellowship of Champions because we, they say a lot of people say what we do is we do a lot of soul work. Well, the reason we do so much soul work, and my wife's going to get into this, but the reason we do so much soul work is because once you get born again, your spirit, man, is saved. It's perfect. <laughs> we ain't trying to chip off the old stuff on your spirit, man. It is transformed. The part of you that needs to get fixed is the thing, is, is, your, is your consciousness. And how do we fix your consciousness? We have to work on your subconsciousness. Because you got to change how you think, because when you change how you think, it becomes your reality. And so we are completing him and we've got to change our thinking to make sure we're always completing him, not just when things are going good. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, when people say you guys talk about soul work a lot mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and the truth of it is, even when people say my spirit is vexed, that's not true. It's just not true. Because not God is not vexed. Your soul is vexed. Like real talk. A lot of this stuff that when we're like, oh, God is upset about this. God ain't mad. God, God isn't mad. God isn't upset. God isn't worked up. God doesn't have all of these issues, right? Our soul is so important that Romans said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which your soul is contained in your mind that you can prove the will of God for your life. And so, and I want to talk about it from this perspective, how important thinking, feeling cycle is and this soul work is. I made a post yesterday and I was saying, you know, anybody who knows me, knows us, knows that we value deliverance work. There would not be anybody who knows us who would say we don't believe in demons. We don't believe in the spirit realm. We don't believe in casting out demons, all of that stuff. But what I've learned in 22 years of ministry is that if you cast a devil out of a man and he doesn't think any different, that devil is coming back stronger. The reality of it is, is that I can use my authority in a corporate service. I can use my authority one-on-one -on -one to cast something out. But the Bible says it like this. It says that when the house is swept clean, it's got to be filled up. So that the because the strong man's gonna come back looking to see, and he's gonna come back in seven times, um, seven times stronger. Why is this so important? There have been so many people because they have not learned to think about their thinking. They live in a perpetual cycle of deliverance bondage. It's never any long-term freedom. It's, I got caught up in sexual sin again. I came to the altar. Somebody cast the devil out of me, but I didn't understand that in order to change my life, what I needed to do was stop answering the phone at two o'clock in the morning. 
that what I needed to do was to block some people's numbers out of my phone so that what I needed to do is that when I got lonely was not to sit on Facebook and meditate how nice it was to be with Joe when the relationship was really crap. And so, you know, if you think about it, Colossians tells us in Colossians 1 and 21, it says your indifferent mindset alienated you from the from God into a lifestyle of annoyances, hardship, and labors. Yes, now, but pay attention. It says it alienated you, meaning you were alienated before Jesus. Now, because of Jesus, you are no longer alienated. So if you feel alienated, it likely has a lot to do with the indifferent mindset you have that is causing you to live a lifestyle of annoyances, hardship, and labors. So he's fully reconciled us and restored us to our original design. So he's already made our spirit perfect. Our spirit is already just like Jesus. Then what's our work? Our work is to use this word to push everything out of our soul that contradicts our original design. And so if we want people to be able to maintain deliverance, and we've seen this, you know, we've seen this in all types of areas that we could, you know, you can take somebody who um, has a cycle of poverty in their thinking. And no matter how much money you give them, they're going to find a way to get back to broke. That's not because they don't love God. That's not because they want to be poor. That's because they have a mindset that is indifferent from God regarding finances that causes them to live a lifestyle of annoyances, hardships, and labors, right? But the truth of it is, is that it's a lot easier to shout. It's a lot easier to have somebody else lay hands on you and put the intercession on somebody else. And this is important because tonight you wanted to talk about being metacognitive, thinking about our thinking, about being critical thinkers. And we need to own that some of the reason that we've given up our right to think critically is that it is easier to say, Pastor Strick, pray for me for a financial breakthrough. And I'm going to go watch TV. That's that's an easier work than to say, Jesus has changed my spirit. And now God has given me the ability to change my mind. And so, yes, Pastor Strick, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. But I'm also going to put the practical things in place and begin to think about how I keep ending up in this situation. If you really stop and think about it, your whole life is shaped by your thinking. Mm -hmm. There's a scripture in Proverbs. We've talked about this. I think every time we've been in the car this week, we've talked about it. There's a scripture that says a curse doesn't come without a cause. A curse doesn't come without a cause. And we said that in the 22 years we've been in ministry, in the decade that I have been doing this soul shit work, let me tell you what I know. If I watch you long enough, I can see why you keep ending up where you are. And it, it, and it has way more to do with how you think than the devil, because the devil's actually defeated. So the devil gets his power by getting you to continue to think in a way that causes you to be alienated from the life of God, right? Now, the great thing about it is I have the power to change my mind, yes? I have the power to change my mind. I don't, I don't care how I grew up. 
I don't care what has happened to me. I don't care what I was taught in my old church. I don't care what they didn't teach me in my old church. I have the power to change my mind. But what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to understand that God has given me this God-given ability and he is not going to come and change my mind. There is no amount of oil that someone can put on my head to change my mind. I cannot shout enough to change my mind. But the way I change my mind is I take in the word of God and I allow the word of God to become the standard and push everything else out. Right. Mm -hmm. Scientists say we never stop thinking. We never stop thinking. Um, um, one of my favorite teachers about the mind teaches that we, te we think 70, 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. So what are you thinking in the majority of those thoughts? If you want to know what you're thinking in the majority of those thoughts, all you have to do is look at your life. Your life tells you that 60 to 70,000 thoughts. It tells you what you think about food, what you think about water, what you think about money, what you think about relationships, what you think about God. No area of your life can be hidden from you if you think about your thinking. And so, you know, even when we sleep, we have words that flow into bundles of thoughts that are streaming around inside of us. Right. Um. The, the human speaks at a rate of 150 to 200 words per minute, but we think at the rate of 1300 to 1800 words per minute, right? This is why Romans tells us what? Don't be conformed to this world. This world is telling you if you like it, do it. This world is telling you it can't get any better. This world is telling you that if you sick, you just sick. This world is telling you that if you feel it, you just feel it. And God is saying, no, you are complete in Christ. And whichever one of those we believe will dominate our life. You know, here's what here's what's amazing. When you think about the research behind behind our thinking, behind our thoughts, that research, that same piece of research that you quoted, it said that we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That is 60 to 70,000 conscious thoughts per day. And if you think about it, I was reading something even just today on that same thing. It said that 95% of our thinking is subconscious. So if you're, so think about that. If 60 to 70,000 thoughts, you are having those consciously, and that only represents 5% of your thinking in the course of a day. The other 95% of your thinking is what you have been hardwired into thinking and you do without even thinking because it's subconscious. What do I mean? I do it without thinking. You don't go. I need to breathe. You don't you don't go. My, my, my blood needs to pump. You, you, you don't you don't say, oh, I need to send a nerve, a, a nerve ending from from my toe to my brain and back again to let me know that I hit my toe. You don't think those thoughts. Ninety five percent of all. All human thought rests in the subconscious. And what happens, though, is it only gets transferred to our subconscious from our conscious thinking. So you can literally think the wrong way long enough that it becomes your subconscious thinking. So even when you want good things to happen, even when you want to go the right direction, your subconscious is so flooded with wrong thinking that you just keep doing wrong thinking on autopilot. 
And that is the reason it is so important that we train our way in how we think and that we don't become indifferent to our thinking. That we don't, we don't, we don't stop and go, why did I do that? Why do, when I get in these situations, you ought to be asking yourself, why do I respond that way? I, I, I keep telling myself I'm not going to do that, but I keep doing it again. Why do I keep doing it again? And if you and if you'll stop and ask yourself that and 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 do do the five whys, do a do a five why analysis of why do I do that? Because then you can get to the root cause of it. It's because I have either through my own volition or someone else's trained myself to think that way. And I train myself to think that way in such a way that I'm that I'm subconsciously thinking that way. So I'm doing it even when I really don't desire to do it. And I know that may not make a lot of sense to people, but that but that's how a lot of people are living their lives. It's the reason that they that they live a roller coaster life. It's it, it, yes, it's lazy, but it's not just because they want to be lazy. It is lazy, but it's not just because they want to be lazy. If you if you train, you know, they talk about and we've all heard this before. They take baby elephants and tie really large chains around their legs when they're little and they stake them to the ground. And the reason they do that is because the little baby elephant is trying to tug away. He's trying to get away from that stake. But because that chain is so heavy, because it gets ingrained in that elephant's mind from the time he's a baby until he's full grown, that he gets to the point that they could literally put a little small rope around his foot, around his foot stake him to the ground, and he won't pull away. Why? Because subconsciously his brain is telling him, we can't break free. How many times have you have you not trusted God? How many times have you deviated from God's plan? And then what happened is you ended up in a situation that was untangible. And then now when God tells you to do something, you go, oh, I can't do it because I'm not going to break away. I'm not going to break away. Disobedience trains you in the same way that the chain trains the elephant. Mm. Disobedience mm. trains you in the same exact way that that chain trains an elephant. Disobedience tells you you can't get away. Disobedience tells you you can't be healed. Disobedience tells you you can't be happy. Disobedience tells you you can't be fixed and, and, and you can't be wealthy. You can't you can't have a good life. Why? Because you 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 played with disobedience. And now what it does is cause your mind to become indifferent to the things of God. Well, so. And I, I, man, that's such a good point that you're making here. And so what we need to understand is that, okay, it's not in our notes, but it's an important part of this work right here, which is that the reason that most people can't transform their mind is that they never saturate with the new. So if 95% of my thoughts are in my subconscious, I'm not consciously thinking them. So it's like every week when I talk about the baby, did I get it right this week? The baby. When I think about, when I talk about the baby and I say the baby, when he fires off someone on someone, it's happening in his subconscious before it's happening in his mind. The amount of conscious work he would have to do to saturate with the new for that not to be his first response. And it's the reason that we say at Fellowship of Champions, y'all can put this in the comments, we don't despise repetitive teaching. And when we say we don't despise repetitive teaching, we don't just mean if Pastor Ellen and I come and teach a four-week service series on something, 
We mean literally listening to one teaching over and over and over and over and over again until it's the sound that's in your head. And I have said just for years that most people are not that critical in their intake. And we talk about this, that when we were really trying to change our life, you know, when our marriage was crazy, when our money was crazy, we literally saturated. Now, let me tell you how important we know saturation is. Um, Any show that you saturated yourself in, binge watched in, you become invested emotionally and begin to think about that show in a very different way than a show you just watch one time. Even if you have a show that you watch weekly, how your body responds, how your brain responds, if you just sit down and watch all 16 of those episodes, it's different. You get a different affinity toward the characters, a different investment in the storyline. And so it's so important that if you are sitting here going, man, I got this issue with X. One of the tips I gave y'all the other day is that you have to aggressively interrupt thoughts. You can't aggressively interrupt thoughts with a passive perspective toward your thinking. So that is, you know, a part of that work, right? Um, One of the the things I think we do a lot of times is we actually try to take things that are, um, they really weren't meant to be spiritual. And we try to make them spiritual. And when I say spiritual, I mean religious in some sense. We try to make them religious. We try to make them almost spooky. When in the reality, if you go back and you study, especially uh, the Pauline letters, most of what he wrote to the Romans, what he wrote to the Philippians, the Ephesians, if you really begin to layer that back, yes, he was talking about their relationship uh, to Christ, but so much of that was focused on how they needed to think about that relationship. It was about their thinking. It's, 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 it's why Paul says, don't let somebody else come in and bewitch you. How would they bewitch you? Because they get you to think something different. You know, when you begin to look at what he said, you know, he was in essence saying, listen, I need you to engage in this mental process. Yes. Thinking is a mental process. If you engage your faculties of your brain to, to think, then what happens is you literally can get duped by the enemy and you get duped repeating the same cycle. I love how you said that the same cycle of of the of, of, of deliverance, bondage, deliverance, bondage, deliverance, bondage. It, it, why? Because you don't engage your mental faculty. Paul, the Apostle Paul said that thinking was so important that when he wrote to the church at Philippi, look at what he tells them in Philippians 4 and 8. In Philippians 4 and 8, he says to them, he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, he'd been talking to them. uh, And then he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Now, you know, when someone's talking to you and they say, "Okay, one more thing, last thing, they really want you to hear what they're about to say. What does he say? He says, fix what? Your thoughts. He says, fix your thoughts. (laughs) You know, you can just put a period there if they had wanted to fix your thoughts. But he says, fix your thoughts on what? He says, on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, and what's admirable. He says, think about those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
Why did he tell them to think about those things? He says, because if you spend your time thinking about other things, if you spend your time thinking about the sexual things that are happening in the city, if you spend your time thinking about all the merchants who are cheating each other out of gold and silver, if you spend your time thinking about how sick you are and how bad things are, he said, that's what's going to grow in your life. He says, and I need you to fix your faults. I need you to change how you're thinking. And what was so good about that is right, right before he told them that, this is what he told them in verse six and seven. He says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> he said, instead, do what? Pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. If verse seven says, then you will experience God's peace, that nothing missing, nothing broken, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says, so don't worry about anything. He says, instead, what you ought to do is just pray about everything. He says, remember to tell God what you need and then thank him for all he's done and spend your time thinking on the right things. He says, that is your key to success. No, that's good. Let me read it in the mirror. In the mirror translation, I'm going to read four and six. They don't have it on the screen, but, but listen to it. It says, let no anxiety about anything distract you. Rather, translate moments into prayerful worship and soak your requests into gratitude before God. Verse 7, and in this place of worship and gratitude, you will witness how the peace of God within you echoes the awareness of your oneness in Christ Jesus beyond the reach of any thought that could possibly unsettle you. Mm. Just like the sentry guard secures a city, watching out in advance for the for any for the first signs of any possible threat, your deepest feelings and the tranquility of your thoughts are fully guarded there. Verse eight. Now let this be your conclusive reasoning. Consider that which is true about everyone as evidenced in Christ. Live overwhelmed by God's opinion of you. Acquaint yourselves with the revelation of righteousness. Realize God's likeness in you. Make it your business to declare mankind's redeemed innocence. Think friendship. Discover how famous everyone is in light of the gospel. Mankind is in God's limelight. Ponder how elevated you are in Christ. Study stories that celebrate life. Now think about the semantics and the language used there. He talks about pondering. He talks about thinking. He talks about all of those things that are activities of the mind because he wasn't trying to be spiritual with the people in Philippi. He was saying to them, if you don't guard the way that you think, then someone will get you to think differently than what I have taught you. Come on. So he said, I need you to ponder this. I need you to think about this. I need you to be in, 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 in the realm of, 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 of understanding what I'm saying to you. And, and that's the reason, you know, when I, when I think about so many times, if you look at the Apostle Paul when he was writing, sometimes we try to, we try to make it so deep and spiritual. But what, what he was really trying to teach them is there is power in how you think. There is power. You told them safeguard. He said, like a centurion guards over a city. He says, you guard your thinking. You guard your thinking. We know that Proverbs 4.23 tells us that we need to, we need to guard our hearts. Why? Because out of it does what? Flows the issues of life. 
He says, he, he wasn't talking about this, this thing that pumps blood. He says, guard your heart, guard the area where you think, because out of that area is going to flow all of the issues of your life. Now think about that. So in Romans, he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Colossians, he tells us to focus on throne room reality, yep. right? And then in Philippians, he tells us to guard our thinking. Can y'all put in the comments, none of this is passive? And do you know what Edwin and I have learned definitely being married? My, married, I know I can say this for you. I, we've learned that when you are doing this, you really don't have time to think about what other people think. Because it really takes your attention to say, not why did Edwin do what he did? Why am I responding the way that I'm responding? Why am I triggered? Why am I irritated? Why am I upset? Why do I keep meditating on this? It requires my the engagement of my entire self to stay anchored in the throne room realities about who I am. Listen, and the more we get con con concentrated in this area, something will happen and we'll be talking to each other about why somebody did something. And one of us, if we will catch ourselves and go, you know what? That ain't got nothing to do with me. I don't have the time or the energy to be trying to figure out why so-and-so did what they did. I need to be focused on why I do what I do. No, I no, no. I thought you were going to say everybody I need to be worried about my thinking. I thought you were going to say your favorite thing. I have neither the time nor the inclination. Nor the inclination. I have, I have neither, neither the time, time nor the inclination, inclination to worry and about I, that. Now, my work is about thinking, which gives me lots of insight into people's thinking. And today I was saying that one of the marks of maturity of thinking, come on, Trinika just said it. I become a student of self because my only goal is to see how myself is lying, lining up with my original identity. That because becomes it's, actually, it's actually a passive activity to look at why somebody else do, does what they do. It can feel active, but it's not active. It's actually a passive activity. What is active is to figure out why you, why self does what self does. And then relocate myself because it ain't just good enough for me to know I got an anger problem. Right. It's not just good enough for me to know I'm irritable when I don't have my coffee. I think once I see anything in me that does not align with my true identity, I must relocate myself. Relocate myself. Well, you know, and it's one of those things that if you don't do it, you will find yourself in repeated cycles because yes. your thoughts become a catalyst for self-perpetuating cycles. Mm -hmm. If I'm unwilling to locate myself, mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm constantly finding myself in that same situation. And here's what people do. They go, well, if I move to Houston, things will be different. No, Come on, sir. Come well, on. if I go to New York, things will be different. No, it won't. If I change jobs, things will be different. No, it won't. I just need a new spouse. No, you don't. Because you're going to show, because everywhere you go, what do we say? There you there are. You everywhere everywhere you, go, you go. you are. And if you don't change your thinking, you can go into literally a perfect environment and you will tear up the perfect environment because you will make that environment come down to your level of thinking. And when you do that, you'll blame the environment. But the moment you leave the environment, it'll be different because you are the catalyst for the self-perpetuating cycles.
It's interesting. I was talking to a young lady the other day and she was talking about how many times her mother has been let go from a job. And she was like, my mother just lacks the ability to see that all of this is not because people are wronging her. Yeah, she's, she's not self-aware. She's not self-aware. She knows everything they do wrong, but she cannot take feedback. Jesus. Her inability to take feedback makes her prideful. My God. Which means she doesn't think anybody really got the right to tell her anything. And mm. this is what the saints got to be careful about. Because a lot of times what the saints do is that when you work in an environment and you don't think your boss is as spiritual as you are, then you think it's debatable about whether you should follow those instructions or not. And then you get let go or then you don't get the promotion and you say it was the devil. But the devil was in you. The devil was in, in your rebellion. It was in your arrogance. It was in your, they literally give you a review. They give you this review. Seven people on your team say the same thing about you. And you go, nope, that's not me. Mm -mm, that's not me. Y'all just, and, and, and here's the thing. Am I, am, is it possible that sometimes it's because of your gender? Sometimes it's because of your race. Absolutely. But if you've had 10 jobs and everybody says, listen, you can't get along well with people. You the common on. denominator. You the common denominator. You and here's, you the, here's the thing. Because you won't change your thinking in that particular scenario, because you won't change your thinking, it then directly influences how you show up. Yes. It directly influences how you behave and it directly influences how you perform. And so you think uh, that everybody else at the job is crazy, when in reality, you won't think about your own thinking. So you think that you show up in a way that you don't. And 99 other people can see you showing up in a bad way, but you don't see it. It's because you're not metacognitive. You're not thinking about how you think. And when you have a bad, when you have a wrong thinking feeling cycle, so basically it goes like this. I think a thought. When I think a thought, I release a chemical. When I release a chemical, I trigger a feeling. If I do that, it creates a loop in my mind and brain. I say mind and brain because brain is the muscle. Mind is the consciousness is running through it. Okay. So I create this loop, but here's what happens. That loop can never stay inside. That loop can never stay inside because now that, that loop is going to begin to impact my perception. And that perception is going to begin to create my personality, my personal reality, which is going to shape my personality. So let me give you an example. If I walk into every situation thinking that they are against me, thinking that they are against me for whatever reason that I've decided that they, I think that they are against me, right? And so I'm thinking that. So I perceive everything through the eyes that they are against me. They only told me this because they're against me. They, they, they didn't give me this piece of information. They didn't call me back because they're against me, right? Now it begins to show up. And sometimes I think I don't have an attitude when I do. And I wonder if anybody would be honest enough to admit that when sometimes your thinking, feeling cycle has gotten off. And somebody tried to point out to you that you had an attitude and you was like, no, I don't. I don't have an attitude. No, ain't nothing wrong with me. But if you look back on that situation and because and what was happening in your thinking was showing up. And Pastor Edwin, you're probably 
the best example of this for me, because your body, your body always gives you away. And I've watched it. It it happens with us. It happens with our kids. And, And since you worked at home, I've watched it happen. If someone says something that you don't agree with, what do you do? And you didn't even know you were doing it. What do you do? I'm told I shake my head. He, you see what I'm saying? But you see how he's still resisting it a little bit? Well, I'm not now, resisting it. I'm saying I've, I've been told that. And I, and, I, and I didn't realize I was doing that. And so I realized that, that is, it, is a, it is an involuntary. And it really is involuntary because I didn't know I was doing it. But what happens when you talk about the thinking feeling cycle, right? You're exactly right. Because what happens is if you say something to me that is, that is, that is so wrong or that I know is just... Um, it's, it's just it's just wrong. And if I know you're wrong and you're trying to argue this point and I've tried to tell you that it's wrong and I, and I know that I'm right, then when you start to talk to me, I've 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 managed my behavior enough externally so that it doesn't show up rude anymore. But it's still that same circuit that is running through my brain. And so because that circuit runs through my brain you said it never stays out, it never stays inside, right? So because it never stays inside, as that circuit gets to going faster and faster and faster with my disagreement with them, I end up doing this. Because it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Mine may be me shaking my head at you, but but what what behavior are you are you not dealing with that's causing you to act out? Why are you spending money you shouldn't be spending? Why are you going to places you shouldn't be going to? Why are you hanging with people you shouldn't be hanging to? What Come on, trying, teach. What are you trying to release? And so the truth of the matter is, is, you know, we, we have to understand that that thought pattern that we have in our thinking, it creates a mental circuit in our brain and we just repeat it over and over and over again. And what happens, the more we do it, watch this, the more it becomes part of our subconscious because it starts at our conscious level. But the more we do it, the more we do it. So, so I may have been shaking my head for, 50, for for 25 years. I don't know how long I've been doing that. But it literally became a part of my subconscious. It became a part of my subconscious that, that I'd be in meetings and they would be talking. And I thought I thought I was just sitting there and they go, Ed, when you have something to say? I go, mm-mm. They said, oh, well, you like you had something to say. Mm-mm. But I was over there shaking my big old head at everything they was talking about. Why? Because internally, I was disagreeing. And I wasn't saying anything externally. But it, but, it, but it manifested itself. So, so that's the reason we tell people when the enemy starts to tell you you're not going to make it, what should you do? You got to open your mouth and say something. Hey, I'm going to make it. it. Because I'm make it. I, I actually use that, that example. A lot of times we pick with each other when we teach, but I'm not picking with you because I have noticed that as you have been more conscious of it, that what I've heard you do when I'm listening to you work sometime is in a place where I would have walked by and saw you shake your head. You listen and ask a question. Mm -hmm. So you give people an opportunity to explain. That comes from from my emotional intelligence. It's called active listening. So I try to employ active listening. No, I mean, I've, I've, I've watched you do it. Hey, I've watched you do it with me. Where literally these times where I knew before you would be going, oh, and you like now, 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 Sean, tell me, tell me, right? Tell, tell me, you, say more, say more, say more, <laughs> say more, and and then what happens is is that now here is how we can improve a relationship because now that I know you're working on it, right? I'm conscious about the fact that when you say, say more, instead of being irritated, 
and feeling like you just don't want to understand to attempt to ask what's the gap because it's so plain to me I don't understand why it's not plain to you. And what used to happen with us sometimes is that we had these little things that came across to the other one as disrespect. Yep. Now, you don't know you shaking your head because I would say to you, what you shake your big old head for, right? <laughs> you say, I'm not shaking my head because in your mind, and that's the other thing too, when you have a negative thinking feeling cycle, you are spending so much energy managing yourself. You really don't know how you showing up. That's true. That's true. You, you, you really do not know how you're showing up because it is taking everything you got. Not say you're wrong, not say that's stupid or whatever people do in those situations. Yep. So what's happened for us is that I'm learning that when you ask a question, that's an opportunity for me to say, as opposed to me saying, oh, he's just trying to be difficult. He's trying to be rude. It's an opportunity for me to say, how could I explain this in a way that would help us be on the same page? And in, now, both, I wanna... and in both cases, what we had to do was be self, become more self-aware. I had to become more self-aware of why I was shaking my head, that I was shaking my head, first of all. And then you had to become self-aware to think, okay, He's not my enemy. He's not shaking his head because he's trying to be disrespectful. You know, and, if, and, and that's all we're talking about is when you spend time thinking about what you do and why you do it, you show up different. Because, even, baby, because you what you understand is that your thoughts become the whole genesis of everything that you do. Well, if you think about the scripture right here that we were just reading in Philippians, I'm trying to find it. What page? What page? Philippians 4. No, what page of the notes? I'm trying to find the page, right? Okay, so it, it actually says what we've actually learned to do, what we're learning to do, not that it's perfect, not that it's perfect, but we're growing and becoming because we're working to see ourselves as complete in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. In Philippians 4 and 8, it says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thought on what is true. Yep. Okay? Honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. But I want to read it out of the mirror translation to show how God is teaching us in our engagement with each other and other people, right? Now, let this be your conclusive reasoning. Consider what is true about everyone as evidenced in Christ. Live overwhelmed by God's opinion of you, okay? So I'm going to show you how this works, whether a person changes or they does, don't change, okay? Mm -hmm. So even if I was in a meeting and they ask what they ask with the intent to make me look stupid, if I live overwhelmed by oh, God's opinion of me, then even when their intent, they, they intentionally, they gathered together. They didn't give me a piece of the information. They waited till we got into this in front of the CEO to try to make me look like a fool. If I live overwhelmed by God's opinion of me, then even in that moment, you can't shake me. That is the antidote for never having low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. It is the antidote for never having low self-esteem. I live overwhelmed by God's favorable opinion of me. You know what else is the antidote of? I don't have to be offended with you. That's exactly right. I don't have to be offended with you because then what begins to, I begin to say is that, listen, 
anyone who was seeing me through the eyes of Christ would not have a need to attempt to make me look stupid. So and I'm going to let that be a you problem. Yeah. And because I'm completing Christ, I, I, I'm, I'm never torn down. I'm never torn down and I'm never offended. So then if you look at it, it says, consider what is true about everyone is evidenced in Christ. Is it true that Edwin wants to be rude to me? Is it true that Edwin wants to be disrespectful to me, that he is attempting to? It, 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 listen, if you go back to Colossians, Colossians not, not, not only challenges us to change how we see ourselves, Colossians challenges us to change how we see others, even when others aren't showing up as their best selves. And I've watched you do it. I think it's just the cool thing about getting to hear you work because you guys do so much meeting, right? And I've watched you even in these meetings where somebody blew it and it would have been easy because you know all the stuff and you could have blasted them. I've watched you even reshape the rest of the team's perspective about somebody by choosing to see what is best for them and looking to where you can build that person up in the moment instead of using it as an opportunity to kick them when they down. And, and the thing I'll say about that is people hear that and, and I want people to know that has nothing to do with the religious mindset. I mean, it really doesn't. And, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not de-emphasizing in any shape, form or fashion our relationship with Christ. But at the same time, God, God wired us. He built us. He engineered us. And if you don't take the time to understand what God did when he built man and how he wired man, that, that, that you'll miss out on being able to be the best you can be because you won't ever grow. You won't even you won't even attempt to become something mm. new. You know, we talked about having a, a growth mindset mm. or having a fixed mindset. People who have a fixed mindset don't understand that just because you're just because I had low emotional intelligence 10 years ago, I don't have to show up today with low, low emotional intelligence. Just just because I was angry. 15 years ago, I don't still have to be angry today. You can work on your mind. And I like what you said, how you talk about the difference between your brain and your mind. You can work on your mind. You can work on your mind. And there are simple ways to do it. Uh, and I'm going to share four of them real quick because the, they're the ones that I, I, I still practice. I still practice these four simple things to work on my thinking. Number one, here's the, here's the first thing I do when I have a thought, a conscious thought that may not line up with what I know to be uh, operating with high emotional intelligence or, or operating according to the word of God. When I get those thoughts, my first question is, is that thought empowering? Is that an empowering thought or a negative thought? Because if it's a negative thought, then I have to do the five whys. Why did I think that? Where did it come from? Who told me that? You know, and I just go through the list and figure out because even if I think I know, <laughs> I go through the list so I can go, oh, wait a minute. That's not me. That thought came, but I don't have to let that. It's like a bird. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head. But what can you do? Stop, stop it from building a nest in your head. So I stop. I, I stop the thought 
from, from, from staying there so that they can attach to another bad thought and another bad thought and another bad thought. And before you know it, now I got these strongholds of thoughts. So I asked myself, is that an empowering thought? You know, if I got to go to a meeting, you know, at, the, at, at this new organization I'm in, I have to do some stuff that I've never done before. Um, and so when I show up to these meetings, you know, there's no training. They hire you and assume that you can do it. And they say, here you go, you know, go, go do it. Go present to, to the C-suite, uh, you know, about why you need 10 new people, you know, uh, do the business case. Well, how do you do the business case? I don't know. So you have to figure that stuff out. And then when I start feeling inadequate, I have to ask myself, wait a minute. Would God have even allowed me to be in this position if I didn't know how to do it? Because if I didn't know how to do it, he already knew that. And so he'll teach me how to do it if I ask. Him. And so you have to begin to empower yourself with the right kind of thinking. Here's the second thing you got to be able to do. You got to let go of worry. You got to let go of worry. Worry is, is, is like trying to run uphill with a boulder on your back. And, and here's, the, here's the reality. We worry about most things that never come to fruition. And, and I know that because I used to struggle. <laughs> being. And I used to say it. I don't, make, I don't make that confession anymore. I used to say I'm a pessimist. I'm not a pessimist. God's not Praise a pessimist, God. so I'm not a pessimist. But I used to pride myself in being a pessimist. You know, the glass was always half empty and dang near knocked off the table. You know, but, but that's, not, that's not who I am anymore. Right? Amen. Praise God. That's not who I am. So now I let go of the worry. And what I focus on is what are all the things that could go right? What are all the things that could go right? Because when I focus on the things that could go right, then that's, that's, that's I know people think it's, it's uh, new age, but it's not. That's where my mind pulls me to. That's what my consciousness and my subconscious pulls me to by whatever my most dominant thoughts are. So I can either choose to think about the negative or choose to think about the positive, and my life is going to follow that. Well, pause before you go to number three. For people who would consider that new age, how could you even be in faith if you're in worry? Exactly. Like if you, the, the whole principle of faith is we believe what God said, even when we can't see it. How can you believe God for provision while worrying that there's not enough money? And how faith can, is believing what you can't see. We don't have to have faith for the chair if we can see the chair. We don't have to have faith that there's a door right here to my left. It's a door right there. Faith is for what you can't see. Absolutely. So, yeah. Number three. And the third thing, you know, you got to practice mindfulness, you know, and, and, and we've, we've, you know, there are schools now that actually teach kids how to practice mindfulness, how to, how to clear their mind. You know, you used, you, a year or so ago, maybe even two or three years ago, you started talking to me about dumping my day. You know, that's part of my practice, my, my practicing my mindfulness. How do I how do I dump all of the stuff that comes in the course of the day so that my mind is not saturated with all the things that went wrong? So you got to practice that mindfulness. And then the last thing is you got to keep busy when all else fails. You got to keep busy when all else fails. What do I mean by that? I don't mean doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. Let's look at James 1, 2, and 4, because here's this, this, is, this is how I persevere. This is how I believe you and I persevere. It's why I think we're in the situation we're in today, because God taught us how to persevere. James 1 and 2 says this. It says, my brethren, he says, count it all joy when you do what? Fall into diverse temptations. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, what does it do? It works patience. He says, and then you need to let patience have her perfect work in you 
that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And I love what it says in the mirror translation, which I did put in the in the in the in the banners, because look at what he says in the mirror translation. Verse two, it says temptations and contradictions. They come in different shapes, different sizes and at different intervals. It says, but all of their intention is to always do what? Suck you in to their energy field. He says, however, my friends, your joy and who you know you are leads you out triumphantly every time. If you think the right way, you lead, you're led to victory every single time. How do I think the right way? Because I'm in complete in Christ. I do not have an indifferent mindset to the things of God. Verse three, he says this. He says, here is the secret. Joy is not something you have to fake. He said, but joy is the fruit, praise God, of what your faith knows to be true about you. He says, you know that the proof of faith results in a persuasion that remains constant, even in the midst of contradictions. That means if the, if the economy is going crazy, but God said, this is going to be my year of great progress. I don't care if the market's going crazy. I don't care that gas is $4 a gallon. Guess what I'm still declaring? This is my year of great progress. And then in verse four, he says, just like a mother hen patiently broods over her eggs, steadfastness provides you with a consistent environment. That's what steadfastness does. It provides you with some consistency all around you. He says, so that patience, and patience ain't putting up with, it means doing what God told me to do, no matter what's going on around me. He says, so patience then prevails and prove your perfection. How entirely whole, because we said we were complete in Christ, how entirely whole you are, and without what? Any shortfall. Shortfall. So to, to me, I'm like, man, if you can if you can grab hold to to saying, God, teach me how to think. You know, Paul said it like this. Let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. Let the same kind of thinking, the same kind of mental process that caused Jesus to be so victorious in everything that he did. Let that be in you. Because guess what? It is you. Because it is you. It's the real you. Someone asked me the other day, and I thought it was su such a good question. They said, Pastor Sean, what's a sound mind? I said, a sound mind is a mind that thinks like Christ. Mm -hmm. it, it's it, what we want to develop. The purpose of this work is not just to be good moral people. The purpose of this work is to face every situation from the viewpoint of Christ. Mm -hmm. It is to face every situation, whether it's sickness, whether it's money, whether it's the world looks like it's getting crazier every day. I am unbothered Absolutely. because, you know, one of the things I've been talking to the Lord about is interesting that you picked this particular scripture and talked about joy. I've been talking to the Lord because he's been talking to me a lot late in the midnight hour about how he is not near as worked up as we are. And he says to me, I'm not worked up because I know the end. Right. He says to me, he says, Sean, you're worked up because you don't know the end. So then I say, well, show me the end. Because if I can see what you can see and it becomes bigger than what I'm seeing right now, I can stop being moved by what I see. 
So I spend a lot of time with him because you think like and you become like whoever you spend time with. So when I'm spending time with him, I'm like, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? How would you see this situation, right? A good example is I was irritated about something yesterday. Pastor Edwin wasn't irritated about it, but I was super irritated about it. And he was like, I'm only irritated when it happens like this. And I'm like, I'm not irritated when it happens like this. So I'm talking to the Lord about it. He's like, I'm not irritated when either one of those things happens, right? So we could say, oh, I'm superior because I'm not irritated about this. And he is. And he could say he or we could say, you know what? The truth of it is we both have the mind of Christ. Christ, God, Holy Ghost, why aren't you irritated? Maybe like, because here's what I see. And if we would practice that so much of the stuff that causes us to be off kilter, that causes something to be able to ruin our day, that causes something to be able to steal our joy. Um, it just, he would, he wants to give us, thank you, Holy Ghost. The reason we ought to want to think like Christ is that it gives us a supernatural advantage. It's a supernatural advantage. If you read Jesus works, it'll say, and Jesus knew that they came to test him. And Jesus knew that they were going to plot for him. So even when they were trying to do something for him, because his mind was so saturated with how God thought about everything, he was sidestepping what should have distracted him. Wouldn't you like to live a life that no matter what happens, you're not unbothered because you cut off your emotions and you pretend like you don't care. You're literally unbothered because you're patient. You're consistent. Your joy is complete. Man, that's the way he's called us to live. Yeah, I had somebody I was talking to this week said uh, they were talking about, get called for some advice. And I was talking to them and they said, man, you and Pastor Sean, y'all always just seem so practical. And I said to them, I said, you know, you can be saved and still be both a critical and strategic thinker. They are not exclusive one of the other. Being saved don't mean you can't be a critical thinker. Being saved doesn't mean you can't think strategically. In fact, Jesus wants us to do them all. He wants us to be born again. He wants us to be critical thinkers. And he wants us to be strategic thinkers. You know, Abraham was a strategic thinker. How do we know Abraham was a strategic, a strategic thinker? Because, number one, we know he was a critical thinker because God talked to him and said, hey, look, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. If you can look out there and count all this sand, then you'll be able to count your kids. It was critical. OK, that at this point, this guy it can do more than all these other gods they're talking about. So he made a critical decision to follow him. But then God later on asked him to sacrifice his son. He goes up to sacrifice his son. And that's the word that he got. Sacrifice your son. Bring me that sacrifice. I want it. He take him and the boy walk up the mountain. And at the last minute, God changes and said, what? He says, hey, look over there in that bush. There's a ram over there. If he wasn't strategic, he would have just kept doing the first thing God told him. And for many believers, they'd be like this. Well, God told me to go and apply for this job. And I got the job and they gave it to me. That was 23 years ago. You ain't left that job yet and you still can't pay your bills. You still don't have good retirement. They still don't treat you right. But you still had a job off what God said 23 years ago. Do you not think God has said anything else since then? It's because you're not strategic and because you don't think critically. 
And when you don't, it becomes difficult for you to reach the world because the world doesn't care how saved you are. If you show up saved and kooky, no one's going to listen to you. And that's no, I'm glad fact. you said, no, I'm glad that's you said that. Fact. Because some of the saints don't understand the reason you don't get promoted. At, you, you literally pray and then you go to church. I mean, you go to work and you don't do these things we talk about. You're not strategic, right? You, you pray and you cast out devils and there's nothing wrong with casting out devils when they need to be cast out. But what you need to learn how to do is run a meeting effectively. That, that's really the skill that they're that they're looking at right there, right? And the Bible says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And I believe that God wants to not only change our lives. But can, I, can, I, can I tell you why they rejoice, though? They why? don't rejoice just because you just because you righteous. They rejoice because you do righteous things, like think strategically. Like, okay. you're over, like, like you're over your department and, and, and you allow Holy Spirit to talk to you about how to save $3.3 million so you can add 16 new headcounts to your department so that you can work more efficiently and still have all the people who work under you spend time taking their PTO. Those are the kind of things that you need to be showing up doing so that people recognize the God in you, not because you got on some long skirt or because you're throwing oil on people in the lunchroom. No, I mean, think about it. When when there was a famine coming to the world, God gave Joseph a strategy. Thank you. He says, listen here, there's going to be seven years of plenty. In that seven years of plenty, you're going to save 30% of everything that comes in because there is going to be seven years of famine. That strategy, guys, God's giving strategy like that for people right now. Literally, there were words God gave us. God says, hey, listen, if you're not making $100,000, so if you knew here, let us tell you. There is a word over this house that every partner of this house can make six figures. Six figures, period. So if you're not making that and you say you're a part of this church family and you're making 43 and you're not looking for a job, you're not following the strategic vision of the house, which is why you're struggling financially. And be open to how that six figures come. It may not come from one job. It may come from God giving you an idea to do X, Y, and Z, to invest in this, to, to be a part of that. Just, just receive the word and then get the direction for how God wants to do it. Don't box I'm, him in. I'm a, I want to get his word to somebody. And, and, and this is just, this is about being, the Bible says, um, the sons of Issachar were wise and they discern the times. If you're working at a job right now and that job doesn't pay you enough, and that job isn't really progressive and going to move you forward. Do you know what you should be looking at right now? And Chandra teaches us this thing where we ask, not should we, where we ask, is there any reason why we shouldn't? Hmm. What you should be looking at right now is a job in tech. Because all you have to do is read and see that the world is moving toward tech. So if you're working at a job making $43,000, a no end, a, 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 a low end job, a no a job with no progression, you should say, okay, God, is there any reason that I shouldn't be looking at tech? What's in tech that I could get trained for the fastest that would allow me to break out of this realm of poverty? Oh, well, Pashon, I'm 50. I'm 50. Well, you're not even qualified to retire till you're 62. That's 12 years. What's going to happen? So I think that people, 
I think that people think that everything, I think the reason people think we're practical is because people think that everything God is saying, that God only talks in clouds and pillars and stuff that rain down from heaven, and that God doesn't say, hey, Edwin, change your resume and reach out to this person and tell you tell them that you're looking for a job. And I think I think that's really one of the things. And I, it's almost like people think that once we get to heaven, we're going to be done. It's like all we go do is walk around heaven all day and sing songs and lay in the grass and float on clouds. No, God is strategic. He does things with purpose. So if you don't make enough money and you're in an industry that doesn't make enough money and you're only there because you're working for a job anyway, then what difference does it make if you change careers? Now, that's a word for somebody because you, you, you're you in an industry that's never going to pay you $100,000 and you're sitting there trying. It's like we've said this. We've said this, you know, like if you're supposed to be a surgeon, you can't not be a surgeon and not go to college and not go to medical school. So there are people like I'm supposed to be a coach or I'm supposed to be a principal or I'm supposed to be an engineer. Being a believer does not excuse us from the natural process that it takes to get to something. And I, I feel like that that's a big critical thinking thing that people miss. And people think that all that people don't think of God as being supernatural. They think God is magic. That's what I wanted to say. Praise the Lord. You just go leave me hanging like that. No, that's I mean, I don't know what else to tell. I mean, that that's it's right. That's that that's what it is. You know, I just keep telling everybody I keep it seemed like that's the thing that God's got me on, telling people you can be saved and strategic. You can be saved and strategic. You can be saved and strategic. God is strategic. You don't have to all your strategic don't have to get, you know, and I'm gonna use the word the wrong way, don't have to get squoze out of you just because you get saved. You can still be strategic. God was strategic. God was strategic when he told uh, Mo when he when he when he when he, when he had Moses to lead them uh, to the to the promised land. He he knew what he was doing when he had them going toward the Red Sea. He already had a plan. He knew how he was going to wipe Pharaoh out. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And sometimes it may look like God got you going in a direction that don't seem like the right thing, but God already knows what He's going to do. God always you to follow. He always knows what He's going to do. I mean, no. literally, you know, and, and literally. So, you know, and I'm, I'll end with this. On, on my job, we've got this really big issue that we're dealing with in how they schedule consultants. And it's, it's cost the organization a couple million dollars over the last few years. And, and when I got there, they were explaining to me how we did it. And I just started asking questions. I probably spent the first 30, 60 days just asking questions about the process, how it works, why I was, why I was in this particular reiteration. And I, and I literally, at, at, in my sleep, I was asking God, what should I do? How can this be fixed? And piece by piece by piece, he has given me and ideas and suggestions and people to talk to and different things. And do you know, literally this Friday, I think we're going to put the finishing touches on a brand new process that has the potential in the first six months to save us about a half a million dollars, which means we can take that money and put it back into headcounts to hire more consultants. Don't nobody care that I'm Pastor Strickland when I show up in that meeting? You know what they want to know? How are you going to fix this? 
How are you going to make this better? What are you going to do so that we are in a better situation as a result of you being here? And that's what people want to know. And then when you show up that way, now they can say, well, how did you figure that out? How did you do that? Man, I was praying about it. I went to sleep and the Lord gave it to me in my dream. Really? Really? And then that gives you a door. But you just showing up speaking in tongues while everybody's still struggling, that, that's just not going to work. And so you got to think about your thinking. And so that, I'll, I'll leave it with that. Well, on that note, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, because you should, because he can give you a strategic advantage. And if you've been backslid, you should come home because he can give you a strategic advantage, right? Um, then just put that in the comments and let us know. But do you know one of the greatest strategic advantages we have? The ability to sow seeds. And I was thinking about this, like when God finds out you, you are serious about his kingdom, he gets serious about your house. That's true. And I was thinking about how all the years God has trained us in being sowers. And now he's giving us opportunities that are causing us to multiply in ways that absolutely fulfill Amos 9. But the truth of it is, I don't even know if we would have been able to recognize some of those opportunities if we hadn't learned to hear his voice in terms of sowing. And so I want to encourage you, man. Listen, this is good ground. Maybe you want to sow your seed tonight and you believe in God for a strategic mindset. You're believing God that when you go into your workplace, that when you sit down to learn information and when you go and search for jobs, that literally God is going to have things to highlight and illuminate off of the page to you. Maybe you're praying for a wake up in your brain that you're going to stop being so passive. Yes, I feel that. Listen, you need to lay hands on a your mind. Wake up in your a brain. Wake up in your brain. And I want you to tell your brain to activate now in Jesus' name. And listen, if it's one thing, we got the anointing for this because this is what we did for Jordan. We pray right now in the name of Jesus mm -hmm. that any broken pathways Yep. Any synapses that do not that have not fired would begin to fire now in the name of, in the Jesus. Name of Jesus. We pray over your memory. Yep. We pray over your cognitive ability. We pray over your brain and we command your brain to activate. I want you to say, I'm anointed to learn. When you sit down, many of you, you're getting into investing in crypto. Before you read that stuff, you say, I'm anointed to learn this. Anointed when you're learn. reading your Bible, you say, I'm anointed to learn anointed this. To learn. When you're sitting in a meeting and they're rolling out a new program, you say, I'm anointed to learn this. You activate your brain. You come into faith with the fact that you are anointed to learn. Years ago, when our kids were little, Every day we used to go on the way to school, I'd tell them to say, I'm anointed to learn and my teachers are anointed to teach me. The boys will call me from college and they'll be talking about something, some teacher, and I'll say, but you anointed to learn and they're, and they're anointed to teach you. Canaan might say, so-and-so is not a good teacher. It don't matter. She anointed to teach you. you. You have to believe that the anointing of God on you will draw out of people information they did not intend to give you. It will draw out of information in people that they didn't even know that you needed. People will be like, hey, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. Hey, I don't even know if you know you should look at that, but you got to show up to the space believing I am anointed to learn. I'm anointed to learn.
that you have to have a mindset that there is nothing you could need for your next that you can't learn. Mm. There is nothing you you got to have a mindset. You you may be yeah, type that. There is nothing I need for my next that I can't learn. There is nothing I need. So whether I need to learn crypto, whether I need to learn Ooh, tech, learn. whatever, whatever it is I need to learn. I need I'm 56 years old. Who 56? I'm 56 years old and I need to go back and I need to have another career because the career I started is not going to prepare me for retirement. And I'm feeling a little anxious about whether I can learn something new. At a, baby, I'm anointed to learn this. There is I'm nothing, anointed to learn this. There is nothing I, I need. There is nothing I need for my next that I cannot, I cannot learn. learn. I mean, that not I cannot thing, learn. Not a thing. That I cannot learn. Jesus. Listen, I want to tell you this just about how good God is. When I had the accident um, year, several years ago, the weirdest thing happened. I said to Edwin, I knew we knew I had a concussion. I said to Edwin that things in my brain, I could get to the same answer, but I couldn't get to the answer the same way. That's all. That's the only way I could explain it. And I hadn't done all the brain work that I did that I've done at this point. So there was this period of time where I couldn't coach because for whatever reason, whenever I would coach, I would get vertigo and then I'd be down like three or four days. So I probably went seven, eight months, didn't coach anybody. Okay. This one night, I don't even know where it came from. I'm laying in bed. And I begin to hear this term. I don't know what it means. The term is scrum master. I don't know what the term means. So I get up and I go and Google what a scrum master is. It turns out a scrum master is something to do. I'm not going to explain all that. It's something to do with an agile. Basically, it's a, it's a tech thing. So it doesn't make sense to me. I start reading these articles. I start going through it. And what I end up doing is I end up taking a scrum master class and getting certified as a scrum master. Now, I never wanted to be in tech. I never wanted to be in tech. The other day I'm talking to Tranika, who is now learning agile. And she says to me, do you realize that you run your entire work like a scrum master? Man, I had totally forgotten that I took that class and learn that information. But when she said it, because what Scrum got certified, <laughs> got certified in it. What, what part of the work is that we you roll out stuff, knowing the stuff has kinks in it. You let the people tell you the kinks and then you roll out the next thing. And that's the reason that none of my classes are ever the same, because I roll out something. I let the people give me feedback and I roll and I roll out the next thing. God will literally take you into an area that's not your area to teach you something that you need about your area if you will just be open. If you will just be open, there is nothing you can't learn. Yes, Sprints. Yes, ma'am, Trinika. All of that stuff right there, right? I don't hardly use the language for it, but I know that I'm doing it. I know that I'm constantly rolling out something. I know I don't need it to be perfect. I know it. I just need it to be good because the people are going to tell me how to make it better. We're going to upgrade it and roll it out again. All because of a bunch of stuff that didn't seem to make sense one night in the middle and of the night. The truth of the matter is, you know, it started off as a, as a tech thing, but it's using all kinds of industries now. When we're, we, we're rolling out our new equity um, 
our new equity suite with schools and we're beta testing that with several schools. We're doing the same things. You do a sprint, an iteration, you come back, you meet, you work out the kinks, you do it again. And I mean, and, and if you, you know, those are just things that you can learn that even if you're at your current job, it can add to your current uh, position if you're willing to think and to learn. And that's what we're talking about. Not just being so super duper spiritual that you don't that you don't understand that God wants you to do both of those things. And that's that's that was the that was my purpose for for adding to minding your mind tonight. It, w- it was a great teaching. Listen, you know, if we both teach, we're not going to do like Pastor Ralph and get done in an hour. So we've gone our usual 90 minutes. But let me tell you what I know. <laughs> if you went to see Dr. Strange, you was in the movie theater longer than 90 minutes and nothing about Dr. Strange changed your life or any of them shows that you watch. So I am never apologetic about how long we teach the word. Oh, they all they all hung in there. They didn't. I mean, for the most part, ain't nobody left. So that's no. I mean, I'm saying, but we we should never apologize for that because nothing will change. We spend a lot of time on entertainment, but nothing will change your life like the word of God. So listen, those of you who you need to get better jobs, those of you who need to step up at work and quit skating and quit hiding under the radar and saying that you don't want to be a leader, it's your time, it's your season. Why? Because you're anointed to learn and there is nothing you need for your next that you cannot learn. We love you so much. Sow your seed if you want to be a virtual partner. Oh, that's what I was going to say, that you're sowing your seed tonight and I want you to call your seed. I want you to call your seed strategic mindset. That's what you're mm. releasing your a faith for. You're releasing your mm. faith for the grace to have a strategic mindset. You are not willy-nilly. You do not overlook the details. You do see the patterns. You do see where things are going. Your, your prophetic ability ain't just to tell somebody they social security number. It's the ability to see where industry is going, see where stuff is going, and become a solution before they know they need it. That's Be a leader in that industry. That's, That's what's right. on us. That's who we are. That's what we are. That's what you are. That's who you are. All right. We love y'all. Y'all have a great night. We'll see y'all real soon. We'll see y'all Sunday morning.